spiritual disciplines in the morning service. It was several years ago now, but I went to my doctor because I had an ear infection. And it was Friday afternoon, he got me in because of Sunday was coming up, and you know, I work Sundays, so I kind of needed to be on my game for that time. And uh, I, I told him about my earache, and he, he looked at me and he said, let's do a few things here. And so he proceeded to weigh me. What a traumatic experience that is, isn't it? I could have swore I was lighter when I left home. I don't know what happened between here and there. He took my blood pressure, he looked in my ears, he looked in my throat, he looked up my nose, all that kind of stuff he did. Checked my heart rate and all that kind of stuff and he said, I'd like to do a few more tests. And he drew some blood and took that back and looked at it. He came in and he looked pretty grim-faced and he looked at me and he said, Joe, you are on the road to a heart attack or stroke. I thought, well, that's cheery news, thank you very much. Glad to hear that. But he was very serious about it, and he said, you are, you are obese, you, are, you have high blood pressure, your sugar is high, you're diabetic, and you're on your way to a stroke. And I thought to myself, I've got to change. I've got to change some things in my life. We had a, we had a long conversation after that. We talked about lifestyle changes and all of that kind of stuff, and I went home, and the first thing that I did was I decided I had to change my eating habits. That was probably the hardest thing for me to do was to change my eating habits. But I, what I did is I, I started eating less fats and that kind of thing and more vegetables and more, uh, more lean meats and that kind of stuff. Less sugar, less carbs, all of that was out the window. And I began something that I still practice today. And that is I sit down at my meal at home and I have a scale and I have measuring cups with me. And I measure and scale everything that goes into my body so that I know what I'm eating, so that I don't lie to myself. I don't know how you do that, but I kind of lie to myself sometimes. Yeah, that looks like a cup and a half, you know? You just kind of do that. And so I've, I've continued that on today. And I started to get some exercise. I went out and joined a gym, almost killed myself. I was not in any kind of shape at all. I'm still not in great shape, but I'm in better shape than I was then. And I remember I, I, it just didn't, joining a gym just didn't work for me uh, because of time schedules and because of the way that, I, that my time is, is constructed and that kind of stuff. It just didn't work out well for me. And plus it was expensive and I didn't want to pay that money. And so I just started walking. And I began walking. I remember that first mile that I walked. I thought, I thought, this is crazy. I can't do this. You know, it's just a mile. Now I'm up to about three miles. I average about three miles a time when I walk, and I walk three or four times a week, sometimes up to five miles at a time. You know, now that took discipline. That, was, that is probably the most disciplined thing that I do in my life. And I got to tell you, it was difficult to do. It was difficult to change your life when you're 40-some years old, and you got to change everything that you've done before. Limit yourself to two pieces of thin crust pizza rather than a whole pizza. You know, the, the whole, the whole kind of thing that went on was very difficult for me. But, it, but uh, meals became an ordeal for me. And, uh, and walking in 20-degree weather is not fun. But now I'm to the point where I feel bad if I don't get my walk in. I'm to the point where I, I feel like I'm missing something if I don't get my walk in. And, uh, and, and it becomes part of me now. I, 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 really, I really miss not walking when I don't walk. 
But developing discipline is hard work. But the benefits were blood pressure that's normal, sugar levels that are below normal, uh, you know, I lost 50 pounds, I got more to go, I know, I know, I know. You know, those last, those last 50 pounds are the hardest ones to lose, you know. But it's all worth it when you, when you develop that discipline and you do those things that lead, to, that lead to what you've been shooting for. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about spiritual disciplines that are needed by everyone who calls themselves followers of Jesus Christ. A discipline is an action that you take to achieve a specific outcome. It's something that you do. It's something that takes determination. It takes an act of the will. It goes against your natural inclinations. But that's why they call it discipline. It's disciplining your body, your mind, and your spirit in order to achieve something better down the road for you from God. Last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about prayer. We learned that we need to exercise our prayer muscle, that the more that you pray, the better it gets, the easier it comes to you. It's that discipline of prayer that you have to have in your life in order to achieve those things from God that, you want him, that He wants you to have. Last week, we talked about fasting. We talked about the denial of self in order to achieve intimacy with God. The fasting teaches us how weak we really are, how when, you're, when, you're, when you miss a meal, how your body just kind of turns into that, and it becomes the center and the focus of everything that you see. You notice, you notice how many McDonald's you drive by every day. You notice every little pang of hunger, and you start wondering, well, is it okay if I just have a slice of bread? Just a slice of bread, God. Won't you just give me a slice of bread? Because it's difficult to give up that meal, that, that, time of, that time with God. This morning we're going to talk about Scripture. The discipline number three, or number four, is knowing God's Word, the Scriptures. Now we're going to look, we're going to come from 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be on the board behind me. But if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to it so you can see it for yourself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, is kind of the focus of what we're going to look at today. It tells us about God's Word, what it is, what it can do for us, what it means in our lives. And it says this, All Scripture is inspired or God-breathed, that's another way of saying inspired, all Scripture is God-breathed by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're going, when we were wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Right there in, that, in those few verses is what God intends Scripture to be in our life. That is why Scripture is so very important in your life. That's why you need to be in the Word of God on a daily basis, drinking in His Word, feeding on it, making it part of your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great German theologian uh, in the 1930s and 40s, and he was eventually murdered by the Nazis for standing up against them and speaking out against the, the terrible things that they were doing. But he wrote this, he said, Because I am a Christian, therefore, every day in which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's Word in Holy Scripture is a lost day for me. I can only move forward with certainty upon the firm ground of the Word of God. And as a Christian... 
I learned to know the Holy Scriptures in no other way than by hearing the Word preached and by prayerful meditation. In this, in this little saying that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, He's telling us the two ways that we get the Word of God. The first way is by corporate giving, by corporate reading. Hear the Word, personal and corporate. Today we have a multitude of ways to hear the Word. Uh, when I walk, when I'm on my walk now, I, I listen to podcasts. Uh, and Many of them are different preachers and pastors that I can hear the Word. And I'm, I'm able to listen to that. You can listen to it on the... We got, television pastors that preach all the time. you got radio stations that are dedicated solely to the Word of God. You can hear God's Word, and in church is where you hear God's Word. That's why preaching should always be central to the, to the working of the church. It should be God's Word that's going forth. You'll notice that, I've said this before, but you'll notice that in my messages, I pack it up with God's Word. I pack it with Scripture because I know, now please forgive me for this, but I know that for many of you here, that's the most of God's Word you're going to get every week is what I speak to you. And I know that that's important to you. That's why church attendance is important. Well, I can worship God out in the woods, yes, but you need to hear God's Word in a corporate setting in order to fulfill that Word of God that He has for you. That corpus, that... that that uh, corporate, uh, meaning coming together as the body of Christ and learning the word together. In uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's good for us to get together and hear God's Word and listen to it being spoken and preached on and taught by, by, by someone. Now the second is, more, is prayerful meditation that, he, that Bonhoeffer calls it. That personal Bible study, that quiet time. You should have both in your life. It's not an either-or proposition. You don't need to say, well, I don't need church because I get into the Word by myself. You need, to, you need to get into the Word by yourself. You need to have your daily quiet time. You need to have your meditation in the, in the, in the, in the Word. But you also need to come together as the body of Christ and, and make, make the Word of God part of your life in that way. Well, let's break down this verse, shall we? Let's break it down and look and see what it says about, about God's Word and what it means in our life, how we can appropriately apply it to our lives. And first of all, it says that all Scripture is inspired or God-breathed by God. Other translations, in the, in the New Living Translation, it says all Scripture is inspired by God. Other translations give this more literal, literal all Scripture is God-breathed. Maybe in your Bible it says that, all Scripture is God-breathed. I love that visual picture of God breathing out His Word, that the Scriptures that I hold in my hand are God-breathed. The Greek word that Paul uses here is a word that means God-spirited, God coming from God's soul, the very breath of God that comes into our lives and our hearts through His Word. It was breathed out of God, which means more than simply that God authored the Word, that He penned the Word. God-spirited means the Scriptures came from within God. It comes from His very heart. It's His very breath that He's giving to us through the Word of God. God scripture is God-breathed. It says in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, it says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. In other words, Scripture wasn't the prophet's 
thoughts that he gave. It was God's thoughts as from a human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now he was talking about the Old Testament scriptures that we read today, but it includes the New Testament for you and I today, that they are God-breathed, that they come from the very Spirit of God. When you're reading the Word of God, you're reading more than just words, you're reading more than just great literature, and it is great literature, but it's more than that. It's, it's God breathing out through us and to us. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. In other words, Jesus is that expression of God's love to us. And how do we know about Jesus? Well, the only way that I know that we know about Jesus is through Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are representations of, God's, God, of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's how we know Him. That's how we understand Him is through the Scriptures. In Genesis 2-7, speaking about breathing out, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and man became a living person. He breathed, we know, we know what mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation is. It's the breath of life that saves lives. When someone is stopped breathing, you need to share with them your breath in order for them to continue living, in order for them to survive. They need that breath of life. And who knows how many lives have been saved by breathing out into that, into that, into that dying body the breath of life. Well, the same thing is happening with the Word of God. When you read God's Word, when you're in God's Word, it is God breathing out into you His life, His Spirit, His breath is coming through into your life. So it says, first of all, that all Scripture is inspired by God. It all comes from God. Secondly, it says it is useful for teaching us what is true. You remember when Jesus stood before Pilate, they said, Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate was, was interrogating him, trying to find out what he had done. And he, and, he, and he asked him if he was the son of God. And he says, you speak the truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? That's a question that's being asked today also. What is truth? We've come to the point in our lives, in our culture, and this isn't anything new, by the way. This is something that's been going on since time immemorial. But we believe that today that truth is kind of fungible, that it's, that it's flexible, that it can be true for you but not true for me. And we believe that that's, that's the way that truth is. Uh, that's the question for today. Truth is whatever you think it is. And yet today people want to know the truth. They want to know what real truth is. They want to know that there's something that they can build their life on that is not going to change. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the truth that God tells us about. That's the truth that we learn about. You know, if you go to the mechanic and he says, listen, your car is in pristine shape. I went over it with a fine-tooth comb. You've got a great car here. It's wonderful. It's super. It is the best car on the road. Go ahead. Take it out. Take it for a spin. And you get in the car, and you go up to the stop sign, and you press down on the brake, and nothing happens. All of a sudden, you can't stop, and you roll into that intersection, and your heart is racing and beating, and you go back to the mechanic, and you say, hey, what's up with this? There's no brake fluid in my car. You didn't put any brake fluid in there. Didn't you know that? Why didn't you tell me that? And he would say, well, you know, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. 
I didn't want you upset. That's bad for business to have upset customers. I just, I, I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to feel good about your car. You don't care about that. You just want the truth. You just want him to tell you the truth about your car because it can change your life. It can save your life. Doctors who come and tell us, listen, you're in pristine shape. You are so, you have the body of an athlete. And you look in the mirror and you say, no, I don't think so. Unless pizza eating is a sport. I'm not, I'm not really an athlete at all. You want him to tell you the truth. You want him to speak the truth to you because you don't want to die of, of, of heart disease or something like that. Obviously, when something matters to us, we don't want some kind of illusory dream that tells us something that we just want to hear. We want the truth. The Bible says in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. The Word of God is truth today. It's truth for our lives. It's truth for today. It's truth for tomorrow. It's truth for yesterday. It's true now, and it always has been true. John 8, 31 and 32, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in Him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Bible is God's truth for us. If you want to know the truth about God, if you want to know the truth about yourself, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but if you want to know the truth about yourself, you've got to know God's Word because it tells you the truth about yourself, which leads us to the next phrase that we're looking at. It makes us realize what is wrong with our lives. There's something wrong with each and every one of us. It's called sin. There's something that's wrong with each and every one of us. It's called sin. We don't like that in today's world. We, we, we seem to think that we're going to be graded on a sliding scale somehow, that, that we're not as bad as the next guy, and we're not, as, we're not as good as him, but we're not as bad as this guy, and so we should make it all right when the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Romans 3.23. Every one of us has sin in our lives. It tells us the truth about that. It makes us realize what is wrong with our lives. Paul wrote in Romans 7:18, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I just can't. How many of you have that struggle in your life? Don't raise your hands here. But all of us have that struggle of wanting to do the right thing, but we find ourselves consistently doing the wrong thing, the thing that's opposite of what we want to do. And we, we wonder why we can't win that battle, why we constantly have that battle. The Bible says it's the sin nature that lives inside of us. We're all sinners by, by the Word of God. And we all have that problem in, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then it says it corrects us when we're wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong. You know, the Bible in Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. The Word of God exposes that to us. When we see the Word of God in, in our lives, we, when, we, when we read God's Word, it exposes us for who we really are. You know, uh, I came across this, this, uh, this piece of, of, of information this week. I just want to read it to you. It's by a woman named 
uh, Dorothy Fortenberry, who's a, a screenwriter in Hollywood, a tough place to be a Christian if ever there was one. But she says, the single most annoying thing I hear about faith is the kind, patronizing way that non-religious people have of saying, you know, sometimes I wish I were religious. I wish I could have that certainty. It just seems so comforting to never doubt things. Well, sometimes I wish I had the certainty of an atheist, she writes. I do not find religion to be comforting in the way that I think most non-religious people mean it. It is not comforting to know quite as much as I do about how weaselly and weak-willed I am when it comes to being as generous as Jesus demands. If you want to be perfect, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Wow. Thanks to church, I have a much stronger sense of the sort of person I would like to be, and I am forced to confront all the ways in which I fail daily. Nothing promotes self-awareness like turning down an opportunity to bring your children to visit their incarcerated parents, or avoiding shifts at the end of the food bank, or calculating just how much I'll put in the collection basket. Thanks to church, I have looked deeply into my own heart and found it to be merely small to medium-sized. None of this is particularly comforting. The Word of God has a way of correcting us, and correction is never comfortable. It says in Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in the way. If you take God's word seriously, you are going to be confronted with truths about yourself that make us very uncomfortable, and the way to correct them is through the Holy Spirit and in our lives. We like to think that we're okay. We like to think that we're doing all right. We grade ourselves on a curve with the people around us. We point to them and we say things like, at least I don't do that. At least I'm not as bad as they are. And God says, take a closer look. Take a closer look. You see, God looks at not only at our actions, but our motives behind the actions. And he judges us according to that. And we need to be careful that we don't, that we don't uh, fool ourselves into thinking that we're all right when, are not, when we're not. But God corrects us in his word. If I correct and discipline every... Uh, it says in Revelation 3.19, I correct and discipline everyone that I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. That's the thing that, the Bible, that gets me about the Bible, is it never just says... Peace and love, go on your way, be who you are, just go on and do what you're doing and just feel good about yourself. It never says that. It always says things like, now go and do likewise. Do as I do, as I do. be like me, be more like Jesus. And I look at Jesus and I say, man, I am so far off from that. I am so far away from that. I need to be more like Jesus. And that's what the Word of God does for me is it corrects me, it pushes me in the right direction. It corrects us when, our, when we're wrong. And then it says it teaches us to do what is right. It doesn't just correct us. It doesn't just point out the problem and say, there, now go take care of it. Yeah, you're a sinner. Yeah, you have bad thoughts. Yeah, you do bad things. That's just the way you are. Go and, go and deal with it. Just live in your guilt. He says it teaches us to do what is right. In James 1, through 25, it says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. 
Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It tells us what we need to do. What, what is it, where does it say that, Joe? Where does it say what we need to do? Well, let's start with the Ten Commandments. That's a good place to start. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Is there something in your life that you have before God in your life? If not, then do it. Do it. Get it right. Get it straightened around. Do the things that God told you to do. We're going to close in just a minute, and as we do, I want to encourage you. I want you to read Psalm 119 sometime. That's the longest book in the Bible. It's like 150-some verses long, so don't read it all in one sitting. But Psalm 119 is a marvelous defense of God's Word. talks about the wonders of God's Word and what it means in our life. I want you to get into God's Word this week. I want you to read it. I want you to read it with the mind of the Spirit. I want you to read it with a, through the eyes of Jesus and see what it says to you. It, it, it will speak to you. I believe it will speak to you as you read it and as you put it into practice in your life. But in just a moment, we're going to read together Psalm 119, verses 11 through 16. And we're going, to say, we're going to say it as a confession. The early church had confessions that they did. They would all say it together as a confession of their common belief. We're going to practice that this morning. We're going to stand together and we're going to say these words. And it's on the screen behind me. But we're going to read these words together and say them as a prayer to God. So I'd like you all to rise and just stand with me and just, for just a moment. And as we do... I want you to read these words with me, all right? You ready? We're going to do it a couple of times until we get it straightened out, okay? Let's say it together. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandment and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Amen. Let's say it again one more time, all right? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandment and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Father, that is our prayer to you this morning as we close this service. We give it to you, God. We want to be people of the word. We want the word to get down into our lives and into our hearts, Lord. We want to know it like the back of our hand. We want to be people of God's word and people that know God's word and people that are full of God's word. And so we believe in the inspiration of your word this morning, God. I pray that you would inspire us as we hear your word, that you would teach us what is wrong with ourselves, that you would teach us the right way of living for you, that we would, that we would, teach, that we would learn the good things that you have for us, God. We ask you and praise you to do that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.